Welcome to another episode of the Supply Chain Ambassador Podcast. I'm your host, Bruno, helping you navigate the world of supply chain in a fun and engaging way. On today's podcast, I have a special treat. Are you a student currently attending university or college? Well then, listen up. We're about to learn of the Intern Officer Program and the great work our next guest is doing, helping me to learn about careers in the procurement field and the Intern Officer Program. Please welcome Darren Haydock. Darren is currently the manager for workforce professionalization and the intern officer program at PSPC, that's the Public Services and Procurement Canada, as well as a part-time faculty member at the Canada School of Public Service, where he facilitates procurement functional specialist courses. Darren and his IO team are working to significantly expand the number of interns who enter into the intern officer program each year and to support the ongoing demand for new PGs. These past few years, Darren has felt that the public service has increasingly realized that a collaborative, engaging and diverse workforce is necessary to support government operations. And this is the approach he tries to take in various activities. Darren is also a certified personal fitness trainer, a martial arts practitioner, and a teacher. He will do almost any outdoor activity and will play guitar with anyone who wants to join him. Welcome, Darren. Thank you. It's great to be here. Nice to see you again also, Bruno. Likewise. So can you tell us about your journey in the procurement world? How did you get to your current role? Well, my current role, I was working at D&D, managing the community management office, which about four years before that, myself and a colleague, Rich Savile, had dreamt it up and started it, and it's still functioning. And I think it was a great addition to the workforce over at D&D for the procurement and material management workforce. And then I had an opportunity to come over and start to build something similar over at PSPC and in a division that's called the Workforce Professionalization Division. So that was a really interesting endeavor. And I started rebuilding that focus and, and trying to take what was working, what I felt was working at BND in terms of how we were guiding and managing the development of the workforce overall. And then more recently, there was an opportunity for me to take over the internal officer program also. So I've combined the two portfolios you know, right now, and I have three fantastic team leads that are working for me and we're rebuilding each of those teams a tiny bit. So that's where I'm at. I only took over the I.O. program when it was less than two months ago. I'm actually, at first I was a little apprehensive because it's a big endeavor, but now I'm really pleased I took it over because it's a great program and uh, there's lots of uh, really solid attention on it right now. And we have a really good team that wants to enhance that support to the overall workforce. And as you mentioned, we're also targeting to pretty much double the size of the annual I.O. intake each year which in itself is a significant jump. The I.O. program has been around for about 60 years in the federal government. Yeah. And I think we'll be taking it to the next level. So we're working on that in the next few months on how to do that. That is fascinating. Can you briefly describe more about the I.O. program? It sounds like it's really going to increase in scope. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, the I.O. program, well, right now we take on, on average, around 25 I.O.s a year. It fluctuates from year to year. 
And uh, different organizations throughout PSPC, through Public Services and Procurement Canada, can take on IOs and sponsor them. Those IOs stay in the program for three years as they move from the PG-1 up to the PG-4 level. And there's advancements through each of those levels. So they get tested and evaluated as they advance into uh, PG-2, PG-3, and then subsequently PG-4. Generally, what happens when you finish the program and you graduate, you wind up getting a job, having a job with a sponsoring organization that, that initially, uh, that where you initially started. So the IO program is really good because it is a structured way to carry people through that, those first few years of their development. And it, I don't want to necessarily say it's a fast track way, but I think that's part of the intent is to take our, our future leaders in the procurement field and give them that a really good solid foundation over, over a fairly short period of time. What we're seeing in the overall workforce, and it's it's one big challenge, is that at the PG4 level, primarily, we have such a shortage of, of people, such a high vacancy rate. Yeah. And it's difficult to recruit and keep those vacancies filled. So the IO program, I think, he plays an even bigger role in the future because we need to make sure that uh, if we're, again, a lot of us are starting to see PGs over the years have, are advancing quicker than, say, when I started 20-something years ago. That's both a good thing and a bad thing. It puts some organizations at risk and individuals also because they'll step into the roles that they might not always be ready for or have the tools. So by expanding the IO, we start to create some of that cushion and create at least in the three-year period, those individuals that come out of it will have as broad and solid foundation as we can give them and hopefully more than what they would get uh, from just advancing outside of the IO program. Mm -hmm. Wow. It sounds like you're really passionate about the IO program. Can you tell us what you love about your work? Right now, some of the things I really love about this type of work that I'm doing, and I was doing this over at the community management office also for the PG community, is that it's uh, it's very much initiatives-based. we got to come up with how we're going to make these programs better and envision that, take on initiatives, but it's also strongly collaborative. Both the teams I'm managing right now, I take the approach that uh, we don't know everything, uh, those of us working in the teams. I don't know everything. My team leads don't know everything. We have strong people in our groups, but we need to go out there and engage others that are actually working in the operational environment. Some of us have been out of it for some time, so we need to stay tapped into that. So a big part of what I appreciate is that my current role, I'm collaborating on multiple levels throughout the government. I'm collaborating internal within our directorate, within PSPC, at managerial levels, at right up to ADM-led DG level committees and, and working groups and, and things like that. And I'm also collaborating quite strongly and helping drive that for our DG community interdepartmentally. So with Treasury Board, with D&D, shared services, and any other government departments that we need to might want to collaborate on any items with. Wow. Can you share some of the misconceptions that you've heard about the IO program or just some of the work that you do? <clears throat> Specifically about the I.O. program, I'm fairly new in it. I'm not quite sure what the word on the street is about the program. Generally, when I've talked to people about it, whether they're DGs or directors or managers, they have nothing but good things to say about it and want to support it. So it's been around for a long time and they want to see it continue to be a key tool in how we're developing the workforce. So I strongly believe that's a good positive thing. But one, one thing that is a challenge, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is that People can go ahead and get to the PG-4 level without being in the I.O. program, sometimes in less than three years now. And that's that's a challenge to the overall workforce. I really believe that. We're always going to have some individuals that are, you know, really smart, really keen, really, you know, you know, awesome. 
but we have to be we also have to be careful about ensuring that there's still a minimum amount of experience in each level so the other part of my portfolio is to help uh, standardizing the uh, minimum experience criteria at different PG levels. And that's work that I started over at D&D and we're carrying over into PSPC. Okay. Yeah, speaking of that challenge specifically and any other challenges uh, that you have come across, how are you working to overcome these? The, the approach I've been taking over the last several years, again, it's about collaborating and working with the, particularly the large departments with large PG or procurement communities. So with D&D and ESPC right now, and then with Treasury Board on board with that, where we talk about all of these challenges. We've got working groups, interdepartmental working groups where we do address this. Recently, there was a DG level working group formed between D&D, PSPC and Shared Services and Treasury Board, where at that level, we're addressing them. So we're feeding that, feeding up into that. A lot of the last couple of years, I'm just going to add a little addendum to this. The last couple of years, there's been uh, even more focus on the PG workforce or the procurement workforce by senior management. So discussions that maybe four years ago I was having just at the managerial level, they're really having those at the DG level now and the ADM level. So that's both a good and bad thing. It gives us a lot of attention. It gives a lot of attention to what we're doing, but we need to also continually now feed information to that higher level senior management community. And then again, one of the things to manage the workforce is to come up with standard approaches to different things. So what's our standard approach to a statement of merit criteria that we're using for to hire new PGs, whether it be at the PG2 or four or five level? How are we, what are our gaps in developing PGs? So for example, right now we have the IO program. D&D has what they call an officer development program, and that takes people to the PG4 level. But after that, we're, we have a bit of a gap. So there's a challenge on developing those newer PG4s for so that three, four years from now, they're ready to be really good, strong uh, team leaders as PG5s or eventually managers. Yeah. So I think those are some of the challenges we're working with. How we address them is to keep having these conversations interdepartmentally and through our department so that we're leveraging each other's work and we're trying to come up with some common approaches to these items. Wow. What exciting new projects or initiatives are you currently working on? A big one right now is actually trying to come to terms with expanding the IO program. This is huge. And we're looking at bringing in, we're targeting up to 50 new IOs just for the NCR next year. And for that to be an annual target. The IO team is looking at all different aspects of the program and reviewing and updating what we need. We're also work, looking at how we can better or increasingly provide that good support to the hiring manager organizations that bring on IOs. Because that's part of the challenge is having the capacity within those organizations to yeah. take on new IOs. Everybody's busy in these work environments and bringing people on and coaching them and teaching them the jobs is difficult to do. But the way I'm trying to look at it and sell it to others is that you're not bringing in PG1s right now, you're bringing in your PG4s three years from now. Yeah. So that's the approach we have to take. And just within the last three weeks, I was in a meeting where our ADM said, let's supercharge the IO program. Let's use it uh, and also work those IOs. He said to, to his DG colleagues, it's like the IOs are, we're bringing in smart, young, ambitious individuals. Let's challenge them in these environments. So let's make that program really evolve and let's take it to the next step. So that's a huge challenge. Yeah. Uh, one other thing we're, we're doing also is on the community management end. 
What I developed at DND with not just myself, but a handful of us, we developed a community management approach to the overall workforce. When I shifted over to PSPC to try to build up that type of a portfolio, I found it was it was more lacking uh, in terms of a cohesive strategy or approach to all the items that affect the workforce. So for example, how are we thinking about mentoring? How are we thinking about onboarding new employees or socializing them into the environment? How are we looking at our recruitment strategies? And what are our challenges with recruiting, particularly to try to recruit people at the mid-career from outside of government? So we better come up with a strategy for that. So things like that. So what I've been able to start to achieve in the last several months or this past year at PSPC is, is at least pulling that into a centralized strategy or view of how we have to address all of these things because it was admittedly i think it was fragmented throughout the department so how are we looking at recruitment how are we looking at how are we going to create a mid-career strategy that uh, targets people with experience outside of the government that's a big thing and so what we've been doing in the past is posting for pg4s and just saying they're external to government but when we look at the results of those it's not worth the effort so we have to come up with a better approach so those are the types of things that uh, we're working on on the community management front. Oh, geez. There's so much to learn from you and uh, this short uh, time that we have together isn't enough. What advice can you give to our listeners that are currently listening right now? You know, that's a really good question. The first advice I give, and I'm lucky I get to meet some new PGs when I'm teaching for the Canada School of Public Service. And I always, and, or if I'm mentoring anyone, and I always give the advice of, first of all, be patient. If we all think back, and Bruno, I'm sure you can attest to this, if we all go back to a couple of years in the federal government, we were like, we wanted to change the world. We wanted to, and then we sit around, and you see these, you know, supposedly bureaucratic organizations that we're working in, and we're going, why are we doing it this way? That doesn't make sense. I want to change it, and I'm going to change it. And it's, a, it's really great to think that way, and, and I still try to think that way. What can we change? But when you're new, uh, you wanna change everything and you just have to be patient. And you have to be patient without getting discouraged. And and I firmly believe that there's been different roles that I've played over the years where I have been able to make some change uh, in how we're managing certain things, whether it's material management in one department or uh, community management or how we hire or things like that. So be patient and, and stick to it. Still want still want to implement change, but understand that your, your sphere of influence isn't always so wide. And when you're brand new, you want to fix all of government. <laughs> the other piece of advice, and I listened to your last year's uh, podcast with Daniel, and I believe it was him that was saying, get out there and try different things. The procurement field, it's very broad. And there's if you set two PG2s in a room, or two or three PG2s in a room that are new in the government, and you ask them what their jobs are, they might all be very different. And so it's a very broad field. You can find some really interesting things to work in. Some of the commodities are fascinating. And then even the commodities that don't appear all that fascinating are interesting because you can take a whole uh, strategic approach to managing a commodity. So there's a lot of stuff you can do and you you can be um, in learning environments. You can be in supportive environments like I am now. There's uh, I've worked in special ops procurement. That was the most fascinating procurement job ever. It, it was changing every day, but then there's also uh, the different roles you can get into. It's very broad. So don't look at one procurement job and go, oh, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Look for opportunities. And Danielle mentioned that in the podcast with you that also talked about doing at level deployments. You get to a certain point where you want to gain additional skills or experience. Well, consider a deployment. It's, it's not all about advancing. The advancement will come. 
And so, yeah, I think, yeah, those are, you know, those are key things I would tell new employees right now. Yeah. I really appreciate the work you're doing to instill those skills within procurement officers so that, yeah, the advancement will come, but you've still got to make sure that we're well-grounded in, yep. in just the basics of procurement and yeah. Yeah. There's everybody wants to advance. I wanted to advance. And when I was first in the, and I have advanced and, I, and I've done pretty well for the amount of time I've been in the public service, but we also have to be careful that we don't step into the roles that we really are not ready for, mm-hmm. because when that happens, it's, uh, it's challenging and it's tough on individuals. If you step into a role where you're really out of your, it's great to be out of your level, your comfort zone for a bit to expand, but, but if you get into trouble and, uh, you, you fall into a role that you just can't handle and you're not ready for, that's really tough. Any call to action for our listeners? Call to action. What do you mean by call to action, Bruno? Where can we go to learn more about the program to get involved? I'm sure there'll be quite a number of people within the procurement and students alike, or even just people yep. outside of government who just really want to get involved. Yeah. So for people outside of government, we're this year when we launch our IO campaign or our recruitment campaign and later this fall, we're going to be advertising it. Uh, a lot more, which ha- hadn't been done in the past. We're going to try to widen the net and target people that are they're really interested in procurement that know what it is. The other thing is we're going to try to have information sessions during during the recruitment process, so people know what they're applying for before it gets to that stage of getting a letter of offer and and not realizing what they're getting into. The other part of it is uh, we've also been doing a, a campaign with uh, post secondary institutions right now. I think we've met with four or five of them in the last couple of months and had students that are going to be recent grads attending these sessions and finding out more information about work, getting recruited into the public service overall. And and also more information about the IO program, the intern officer program and things like that. So when we're ready to launch our recruitment campaign in the fall, we're going to have over 20 post-secondary institutions at our fingertips and ready to advertise through them. Yeah. So we've been doing that work and we've doing that work jointly with DND. So again, this is an effert where the two big departments we, we were co-presenting to upcoming graduates of these supply chain management programs. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was, uh, like I said, mentioned earlier, I applied for the IO program. And unfortunately at that time, when I just received my invitation to join the program, I had already made my progression in the procurement world, uh, going from a PG2 to a PG4. But I definitely echo a lot of what you spoke today in that it's not so much about the investment, but also getting that knowledge. And and that's why I do this podcast, because I want to share that knowledge to people and to really get them involved in the community. The I.O. program always get, also gets people exposure to, they go on assignments through those three years. So it gives them exposure to different types of procurement or different types of work. And they might gravitate towards professional services contracting. They might go, you know what, this is really it because there's a lot of stuff I can learn here. With the recent budget, there's going to be a, a lot more need for defense procurement. Yeah. And there already has been a lot of need for defense procurement in the last several years since Strong, Secure and Engaged policy came out. So we're always having to, right now, we're just struggling to keep the workforce populated and we need to get ahead of that a little bit. So that's where, and it's not just the IO program that's going to save that. This is multifaceted. It's like, how how do we do other entry-level recruitment? How are we bringing people in at mid-career, like I mentioned? How are we keeping people? How are we keeping them from, and, and 
One of the other challenges is what level of mobility do we want to see in the PG community or the procurement community throughout departments? One thing I've been hearing for like more than a few years right now is each other's procurement officers. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? I've even been, I recall a few years ago, I think maybe about two and a half, three years ago, giving uh, my annual update to the ADM and his DGs at D&D, to ADM Matt. And I gave the presentation of what the community management office had done, did my eight minutes or whatever time I had with that committee. The only question the ADM had was, I hear that we're losing PGs to PSPC. What, what's going on with this? Because I keep hearing this. And I came back and said, live data where it shows that PSPC is losing PGs to us. There's mobility across the board. And he said anecdotally. And I said, well, anecdotally, I'm hearing the opposite also. When I talk to pe- people at PSPC, I'm hearing that. So we have to, I think there's a value in having a mobile force, workforce that can go from DNB to PSPC, particularly because P- at PSPC, we have fairly large branch that's dedicated to defense procurement. So that's going to happen, but we have to do it in a manageable way. And if directors and DGs or managers are seeing people, having people move too quickly, too often, and it's just, they don't have stability in their workforce or consistency in the knowledge within their work teams, then that's a challenge. So what's our acceptable level of mobility in the workforce? So those are things we might have to grapple with a bit in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Well, you've answered all my questions that I had for today. (laughs) And I will leave with the quote of the day, which is from Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, which says, uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it. So I think (laughs) uh, the future looks very bright with your team really leading the charge with all the initiatives that you're putting forth. So thank you for taking the time to share this knowledge with us. Thank you. And and it's interesting because as you ask questions, uh, you realize how much there is encompassed in all of this. It's it's a vital workforce in the government. There's, it's had stats nearby about how many billions of dollars the federal government spends on procurement. And it's significant. It's a significant percentage of GDP. We need to take care of this workforce. Yeah, we do. And because all that has to be managed in a safe, open, transparent way, as we say in procurement. Yeah. All that dollars being spent. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Darren. Great. Thank you.